Let's get to our Christmas message, and what I want to do today is talk about um, how, uh, so the Old Testament, um, when, when Jesus was born around the, the, the turn of the first century, that began New Testament times. Uh, the Old Testament was scriptures from before then, and hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus, uh, many of the scriptures, like the book of Isaiah that we'll talk about today, I have prophecies. Now, prophecies predicted um, the coming of Jesus. And we're going to see what's often called the now, not yet, in that um, there, are, there are parts of those ancient prophecies that were, were fulfilled now through Jesus, but then there's also a part of the not yet uh, that will be fulfilled someday in the future. So, so we're going to see uh, how that works a little bit today. So uh, to start all that, I think it's important to talk through the uh, number one responsibility of every dad born in the 80s and 90s. So if you're a dad and you were born in the 80s and 90s, we as fathers have the responsibility to teach our sons uh, about good hip-hop. Because there's a lot of garbage out there today. And it's important that we help them understand where it all started, and that the good stuff was made um, decades, decades ago. So I was minding my own business in my family room the other day, and my oldest son, Spencer, who's a, a hip-hop fan, um, he, my, my younger son, Elijah, um, he'll, be, he'll be 15 later this month, um, he's more of a country music kid, which, I, you know, good for him, I don't really get it, but... <laughs> Like, it's, it's fine, and, you know, in the warm weather, there might be, you know, you're on the beach or something like that, you throw on the country music, and, but, um, which is obvious with my, you know, y'all, y'all, that's how, that's how I, you know, that's how, in the north, y'all, um, what was I talking about, um, country music, okay, so, so he's a hip-hop fan, Spencer's a hip-hop fan, and he turns to me and he says, Dad, do you think that Drake is the greatest of all time? And I, I thought to myself, like, is this where I kick him out of the house? <laughs> He's 18, it's my legal right to do so. And I said instead, Spencer, I'm, I'm just disappointed in you. Because that was always the worst thing your parents could say. It wasn't the whooping, it was like, you know, I'm just disappointed in you. And I had to explain to him how, like, um, you know, that's, that's Drake there on the left. Um, but I had to explain to him how, you know, Tupac and Biggie and Jay-Z, how they paved the way for there to even be a Drake. And, like, when I was growing up, you didn't just turn on Spotify and listen, and it counted listens to determine greatness. I had to save up 12 bucks and go to Camelot Music at Belden Village and hope that they had the cassette. And I had to buy the whole cassette for 12 bucks, none of this like mom and dad's family Spotify plan where you download whatever you want. And if they had the cassette, then I was able to get the cassette and then I had to try to hide it from my parents long enough to enjoy it. And in my mind, I thought that was funny, apparently not. It went over better the first service. Maybe I got the timing wrong or something on that one. 
but um, like it was a process. And 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 greatness isn't just something that you that you understand in the moment, whether it be musicians or 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 athletes or brands uh, or businesses. Greatness is usually determined by how long is something around and or someone. What kind of impact did they or it make over time? Did it change the world? Did it change the craft? Would you agree that that's, that's sort of what establishes legacy? That's what establishes greatness. And Thank you, Herb. Somebody, thank you. Um... When it comes to the Christmas story in the scriptures, uh, it reminds us, like that principle of greatness reminds us just how special the Christmas story, the birth of Jesus, really is. Because like, even if you don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, there was someone born 2,000 years ago that changed the world. Like things are different now 2,000 years later because 2,000 years later. And more specifically this morning, we're going to look at one of the many passages from Isaiah, um, this Old Testament book that promises the birth of a baby, someone who would change the world. And it actually happened because that's what's incredible is that... Like it is well documented that Isaiah was written 700 years or more before the turn of the first century. That's, it's like undeniable. That, that, that there's, there's fragments of Isaiah that old from hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, 700 years before the turn of the first century. And it predicted that there would be a child born who would change the world. And it is well documented that around the turn of the first century, into the first century, a baby was born, and that baby's followers, as he grew, believed he was that prophesied child from Isaiah 700 years ago. And that baby that they followed and said, that's the one, really did change the world. And that baby that lived 2,000 years ago, his followers today will still point to him as a source of life change. And that baby is still being worshipped 2,000 years later all across the world by people who are convinced that he lived and died and rose again as the one that was prophesied 700 years prior in the book of Isaiah. And that's incredible. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to see a little bit of that, uh, what we have now from that birth, and then maybe uh, what we're waiting on and why we can still trust what we're still waiting on. So I want to go back to the book of Isaiah now and show you how this kind of shapes up. Because this is a passage that points points forward 700 years to the first Christmas. 
Uh, and it's going to give us some things that we can take away because of the first Christmas now. But then it also points to some things that we're still waiting on. Okay, so this is Isaiah chapter 2. This is what Isaiah, son of Amaz, saw concerning Judah. So Judah was a portion of the nation of Israel that had broken off. And Jerusalem, that was the capital of the nation of God. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted, and the wording here is important, highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. Jacob was the patriarch of Israel. God renamed the person Jacob Israel, named him Israel, and then the Israelites and the nation of Israel came from Jacob. God will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, another word for Jerusalem, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge, God will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. So first, a little bit about Isaiah. <clears throat> Judah was a fragment of Israel because that was part of the punishment um, for uh, their, their sin. They, they had, uh, Isaiah is a book... Um, predicting coming punishment and then coming reconciliation. So God would say things like you um you know like like the they walked away from God in some pretty extreme ways. Like they stayed home from church to watch World Cup soccer kind of stuff. Unthinkable. That's what they were doing in 700 BC. <laughs> and and God said, "Well, okay, okay, you're going to be punished." And uh, it's going to be pretty severe. But then, I'm going to redeem you. And I'm going to redeem everybody. That's what Isaiah is over and over and over again. And specifically, for Andasa, child is born. Uh, is born um, uh, talks about uh, the virgin will conceive. So, so Isaiah predicts it's all going to start with this baby. But there's going to be punishment. And there's going to be a child born. And this baby is going to bring about a new age. And this baby is going to bring about the restoration of all things and all people. Okay, so that's, that's the book of Isaiah. Now let's go back and read the first part of the prophecy that I just read. Because it's two parts. What's been fulfilled and what's yet to come. This is the part that's been fulfilled. One through three. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, so that we may walk in his path. So, here's what 
Isaiah is pointing to. Uh, in, in the ancient times, uh, they had very much a three-tiered view of God. The idea of this is tier one, me walking around on the stage. And then there was like the sky. And then the third tier above the clouds, that's where God lived. So they thought of God being up. God is up, and if you can get up above the clouds, you could see him. Like the, uh, the idea of that even in medieval art, of angels floating around on clouds. right? You go up to see God. So naturally... What do they think about mountains? The higher the mountain, the closer you could get to God because you could get up further into the sky. So when Isaiah says it's going to be the highest mountain, the temple of God where God lives is going to be on the highest mountain and people are going to get there. They're going to be able to stream. They're going to stream in from all the nations. What's he saying? He sees this time. Something is coming where people can get really close to God. That's what he's promised. There's going to be a lot of punishment. It's going to get ugly. But then a time is coming when people are going to be able to get really close to God. And specifically, one of the things we're going to see with that is God is going to, it talks about his, his teachings. It says that, let me find it. He will teach us his ways and we will walk in his path. So part of all this is we're going to get these amazing teachings that Isaiah didn't have yet. He will teach us his ways and we will walk in his paths and we're going to be on this high mountain. We're going to be really close to God. So what we see is really three gifts that Jesus brought that we have right now. The first of which are those teachings. So 700 years after Isaiah says, you're going to get these teachings. And you're going to be able to walk in God's ways and walk in his paths. Look at what the people say when Jesus comes on the scene. This is in Mark 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago, people said this about the teachings of Jesus. It's in Mark 1. Mark are the biography, Mark's one of the Gospels. The Gospels are the biographies of Jesus. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching. And with authority, with power, they, they listened to the teachings of Jesus. They were like, this is new teaching. This teaching has power. Now, this is significant because everyone, they were waiting on the Messiah. They knew the book of Isaiah forward and backwards. They knew all the promises, and they knew someday God's going to send these new teachings, and we're going to be able to get close to God through these teachings. So when they say, when, like, like everything in the scriptures, every detail is there for a reason because they didn't waste space on parchment. And they knew that people could only memorize so much because a lot of this was, was transferred by memory. So every detail is important. When they say a new teaching with power, they're almost certainly referencing back to this idea of this new teaching is coming and it's there. So the people saw something new and they felt that it had power. It had power to change them. And what I've learned in my life is when I trust the teachings of Jesus... They just plain work. 2,000 years ago, these new teachings came in. We have access to them now through the Gospels. And they bring about change. So that's that first gift that we see that we have now. It's just, yeah, those teachings are here. 700 years prior, they were predicted. Turn of the century, people say those are the new teachings. 2,000 years later, they are doing the things that Isaiah said they would do. 
Now, in addition to that, talks about a closeness with God. Like you're going to get new teachings and you're going to have closeness with God. Well, we know there's a huge element of that that we already have. I'm going to refer to Colossians 1, like I do about every other week here. It says, once you were alienated from God, once you were at the bottom of the mountain, once you were far from God, enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. That's practically Isaiah language, right? Your sins are going to separate you. You're going to be fragmented from God. But now he has reconciled you, he's restored you, he's made you right by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. So Jesus brings the new teaching and he also uh, bridges the gap, so to speak, that our sin creates. He reconciles us, he restores us. But then also, it's not just for the someday. Like I think a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of, a lot of people, a lot of Christians, a lot of churches, it's sort of like you say yes to Jesus, you get your you know, sticker, and then you wait to die. Like I prayed the prayer, said yes to Jesus, and someday I'll go to heaven. And then you just kind of live the life that anybody else lives. But here's what Peter says, 1 Peter 3. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, he was righteous, we were unrighteous. He was perfect, we were sinful. To bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in spirit. So I want you to bring you to God. The idea there in that language, some translations say to bring you near to God, because the idea is to bring you to God is very much the idea of like when you go to the store, it's about proximity. It's, it's, you're, get, you're getting close to bring you near, to, to go from here to here. So that idea of, that, that Isaiah sees of there's going to be new teachings and we're going to be able to get really close to God. <clears throat> Peter says, that's Jesus. It's already here. It's already now. He died to bring us near to God. So those three things. We've got the teachings, which are life-changing. We have forgiveness, which helps us to understand our standing with God. And then we have nearness with God if we want it. It's one of the mysteries of Scripture. It's kind of like God's like, yeah, you can be really close to me if you want to. And so one of the things you might ask yourself when you leave here today, like one of the so what's of this? So what, why does it matter? Well, are you putting the teachings of Jesus in place in your life and experience, uh, experiencing the benefits of the teachings of Jesus, of those new paths that you walk in God's way, live like you were designed to live? And then, are you close to God? Now, sometimes we sort of go in and out of felt closeness. Okay, I'll be the first to admit that there are seasons of life where, when, earlier this year, I would say I felt a million miles away from God. And a lot of times you don't even know how or why. It's just, it just is. But if you look and you say, I've, I've never been close. I've never felt close. I don't think I am close. Or whoever. That's, that's your choice. Because it was all done for you and we already have it. That's the now. That part has been fulfilled. <clears throat> and I got to tell you, um, this has been a fun year for me. And I talk with my wife about this all the time. Um, there's a lot of stories uh, that, are, that are sort of bubbling up that I'm, that I'm, that I'm hearing about, which I, which I love. Like um, um, 
be hanging out with a group of guys or, or individually with a, and, and, and some men will be like, I just, I, you know, I've been to church, but I've just never connected like I'm connecting now. Um, trying to articulate, and men don't always do a great job of, of articulating feelings, but it's like the, 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 these, the, the scriptures, the, the, the teachings of Jesus, the, the life of Jesus, they're trying to articulate how it has impacted them personally, and you know, even getting a little emotional doing it when they're talking to me because they don't have the words for it. It's just something new that they're feeling, that they've never felt before, something real, and I see it. And it's inspiring. And then, uh, you know, women uh, at Polaris, a, a lot of times it's through our, our ladies' Bible studies. Um, but, like, this life is not for the faint of heart. And, and uh, you know, my wife will come home or something from one of the women's Bible studies and the women's Bible study that she's in and talk about how, like, there's just a lot of really heavy stuff going on in the lives of, of these ladies. Like, it's, you know, Polaris generally isn't a place where 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 there's a lot of games of like image management and stuff, pretty, pretty real. And, and in the midst of these struggles, um, there's genuine uh, empathy and connection and compassion and love for, for each other and, and sort of a, a, a help, helping and getting, thing, getting people through things. And, and, and I see it. And I love those stories because it shows me that this Jesus thing that started 2,000 years ago really is the fulfillment of that stuff that Isaiah is talking about 700 years before that. And it's still happening 2,000 years later where this baby was born and he brought these teachings and he started this life and he made us close to God and it's, and it's making a real difference in people's lives. Now, there's also a not yet. In this, and Christmas is the perfect season for us to grasp the not yet, uh, because that's what a lot of the fun of Christmas is. Um, the not yet, you know, was was brought into my consciousness as a kid growing up, because when the, you know, if you're my age, um, you remember the J.C. Penney catalog, and this like I can't, I have almost no sense of smell anymore. Like long before COVID, it just kind of, you know, whatever. Um, but I can remember opening the smell of the J.C. Penney catalog, the ink and paper of, and you know, you go to the toy section, look at the G.I. Joe uh, um, action figures or helicopters or whatever, and circle stuff or my, you know, a starter jacket or whatever it is that I wanted for Christmas, and um, and then you know, thinking about what's under the tree. It's like uh, the, the gift was bought. The gift is under the tree. And I, and I gotta wait on it. It's not. It's, it's, it's that there's excitement in that. There's also some torture in that. Like it's it's right there. Why can't I? Can I get, can I open that on Christmas Eve? Can I? That that's a whole part of the season. Or if you have kids, you know how fun it is um, to get that big gift. And and there's a lot of excitement just in waiting to give the gift. And so um, so there's that idea wrapped up in scriptures because there's some of this that we get now teachings of Jesus, the closeness with God that we can have, that we get now. But if we look at the second half of that scripture, Isaiah, two through, uh, chapter 2, verses 4 through 5, He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will rise, uh, will, nation will not take up sword against nation, 
nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. So this predicts <coughs> that God is also going to create a scenario where he settles disputes um, and where nations disarm and there's no more war. Is that here yet? Can you take a problem you're having with your, with your neighbor's dog to Jesus and have him sort it all out? Um, is, is China melting down their uh, guns into farming equipment? Uh, are we disarming our nukes? Is Russia uh, melting down their missiles into, you know, uh, whatever? Would you want us to lead the way right now by disarming our military? I, I don't think we're there yet. I'd rather not. Because we're not to that place yet. Um, there's still cancer diagnoses and, and, and pain and sadness and broken relationships and, and um, tragedy. Uh, we're not there yet. But the invitation of this is that if 700 years before Jesus it was prophesied that teachings would come that would change the world and God fulfilled that, then there's reasonable hope that God's not done yet. So this was another prophecy around the time of Jesus, shortly after the resurrection. This is Revelation 21, some of the last words in the Bible. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. <clears throat> I'm going to invite the band back up. Um, there's a clear promise in Scripture that there's more yet to come. Uh, Isaiah saw new teachings that would change the world. And he saw people getting really close with God, and that's here and now. We got that gift. That gift arrived 2,000 years ago. But then after the resurrection, um, John prophesied that there was still more to come. There would be peace. There would be an end to pain and suffering. It's just not quite there yet. And so what we have to decide is, can we believe that the God who made sure to fulfill his promises of 700 years prior brought new life-transforming teachings, brought payment for sin, and brought us near to God, that, that he will fulfill the whole thing. And when we live in a world waiting, as we see the negativity around us, I think the best approach is to just remember that two thousand years ago the first part of those prophecies did come to fruition and for 2,000 years people have had their lives transformed by that baby and that transformation continues and so put your hope in that 2,000 years of proof 
that Jesus brought and just continue to keep turning to him. Let's pray. Father, this Christmas season, we're reminded of the hope that you brought 2,000 years ago. And we're grateful that you brought us teachings. You brought us your way of life. You brought us near to you through your son's death and that sacrifice. And we're going to trust it entirely. And we're going to believe that one day he will return to finish Isaiah's dream, Isaiah's prophecy, Isaiah's vision of peace and fulfillment and joy and happiness and the end of all pain. We long for that day, and we trust you in the meantime. In Jesus' name, amen.